Hello and welcome to Top in Tech. This week is the first in a mini-series looking ahead to next year, 2024, the year of electoral change. We have presidential elections in the US, the European Parliament elections in the EU, and we almost certainly have a UK general election coming up. So it's a major, major point of political change across Western countries. So we're going to explore in these episodes what the potential change in the politics means for the policy for the tech sector in all three jurisdictions. And today we're going to start with the UK and we're going to start with a focus on the Labour Party led by Keir Starmer. They currently have a poll lead of around 15 to 23 percent, depending which pollster you're looking at. And so while it's far from guaranteed, Labour are currently odds on to form the next government. However, what is their outlook towards the tech sector and what policies can we anticipate? My name is Colin Darcy. I'm the regular host of this podcast, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Megan Stagman, Director for Tech Policy in Global Council's London office. So Megan, if we could just take as our starting point the somewhat obvious observation that the tech sector and technology policy is not particularly prominent in Labour's five missions, the five missions which are the priorities of Keir Starmer and the Labour Party ahead of the next election. So how much of a priority do you think the tech sector and tech regulation is for Labour more broadly? Well, I guess firstly, I would dispute the fact that tech isn't prominent in those missions. Yes, it's not kind of a title of them, but actually it runs throughout quite a few of them. So, for example, if you look at improving the NHS, um, actually harnessing technological advancements is a huge part of that and something that uh, Wes Streeting, the shadow health secretary, seems particularly passionate about. Um, and even kind of going into quite granular detail about how they would reform incentive structures to adopt new technologies like AI in the health service. Um, and data is another example of what they want to do in the health service, connecting different health systems um, and kind of coordinating data records of patients. So I would say it's big in that. I would think one other example you can give is um, the mission around securing the highest sustained growth in the G7. Um a big part of that mission is seizing new opportunities. Um, and I think it's quite clear that AI and the digital economy more broadly um, is one of those opportunities that's being uh, referenced. Um, they also talk about competition as part of that um, mission. So how can they, for example, tackle emerging challenges that are posed by new technology models um, and the kind of businesses that are associated with them? So that's part of it. Um, I would also just say that it's probably impossible um, for technology to not be a serious prospect for um, a new incoming UK government, uh, given that the media and voters are all pretty fixated on AI at the moment. So I think if anything, perhaps the reason why it seems like it's not a priority is that the party is slightly immobilised by uh, having lots of different people who are actually quite interested on this and therefore not having coordination. So you have, for example, the shadow DCMS secretary, Lucy Powell, um, who is apparently working on a digital economy strategy at the moment that we might see in the coming weeks. You have the likes of the business committee chair, uh, Darren Jones, um, who is reportedly also jostling for the job um, and has set up a labour digital group um, that's going to be kind of churning out some new policies soon. And then 
and perhaps another left field candidate, um, Johnny Reynolds, who is potentially looking at kind of a combined business and technology super department. So I think with all of these quite big personalities, um, all with quite distinct ideas about how technology should be regulated in the UK, there isn't kind of a clear single position right now for us to point to. So if I were to take away from what you've just said there, it's not that technology isn't important to the five missions. It is obviously an enabling factor in delivering some of those five missions. I suppose your second point there is that while it's not necessarily a retail policy that they're going to go knocking on doorsteps saying, what do you think of AI regulation? They are clearly going to have to confront these things, whether they want to or not, whether they talk about it now. And then, as you say, we have a divided position. We don't have a clear and obvious focal point from the Labour Party at the moment setting out that clear agenda. So if there is a reshuffle, perhaps we will get that in the future and get a little bit more clarity than perhaps we have at the moment. So let's go into some of those tensions that you've sort of implied about there in Labour's policy-making, decision-making. So we don't know exactly what they're going to do when they're in government, but we can sort of point to where they're being pulled in different directions. And one of those areas that seems to demonstrate this would be on AI, artificial intelligence. As you alluded to, it's an area where Labour have sounded a little bit confused about their positioning. So could you just try and help me make sense of where are they currently on AI regulation and where do you foresee there might be some movement in the future? So I think it seems confused because different prominent Labour parliamentarians are uh, a bit confused and have different positions of their own. So on the one hand, we are seeing a perhaps natural reflex towards more regulation. Uh, we've seen the likes of Lucy Powell, um, as I say, Shadow DCMS Secretary, talking about whether we should even have a licensing system for AI companies. Um, and I think that is fueled by quite a lot of Labour's traditional views around things like workers' rights, being worried about AI taking people's jobs. Is AI going to lead to bias and discrimination? Um, so all of that is kind of typical Labour uh, policy ground. Um, piled on top of the fact that there is um, undoubtedly an existing scepticism towards US technology companies, many of whom are the drivers of this technology revolution. So you have that on the one hand. Um, but then, as I alluded to uh, with the example of health and the NHS um, and Wes Streeting's views, there is definitely a view within the Labour Party that AI can be the way of squaring an impossible circle. Um, how are they going to come into government? and have this impossible task of cutting spending whilst also improving services as, the, as they've pledged to. So AI is potentially a solution to this, um, not just in the health and the NHS um, area, but also, for example, Jonathan Ashworth has been talking about what it might mean for uh, the Department for Work and Pensions, DWP. Um, he said last month that the DW, uh, that DWP is wasting millions by not using AI already for for example, job matching, helping people to find jobs um, and that under a Labour government, AI would also be kind of used to identify fraud, for example, and to process universal credit claims uh, more quickly. So I think they've been fairly granular about where they see AI being used. Um, that first half, though, on how to regulate it and how to kind of resolve some of these inherent concerns and risks around bias or things like that hasn't yet been resolved, I would argue. And I guess there is a difficulty there about 
seeing AI as a potential solution to the problems that public services face, but we know it's not as simple as just clicking your fingers. It does involve a complex interplay between digitization of existing services, bringing together different data sets within and between departments and between public agencies. And often those are quite siloed and it's quite difficult to do. And you're relying on legacy systems underpinning this, which are quite expensive to maintain and have all sorts of risks like cybersecurity. So it's a difficult thing to achieve. And it quite nicely, Megan, takes us into the next question that I wanted to ask you about, which is about public sector digitization. So on the one hand, as you've pointed out a few times now, the shadow cabinet are always talking about the potential of AI, but also of digitization and technology more broadly in helping public service delivery. But on the other, we have what you've pointed out before, which is there is an instinct, particularly on employment issues, to see greater regulation of AI. But there is also existing policy positions that Labour have around promoting the need for British companies and for SMEs to win contracts. So how do you marry these two together? They want to use AI, which implicitly means using large technology firms who have the best products in the market to do so. But at the same time, we're talking about using smaller British firms. So is there a contradiction here? So firstly, I would say it's not actually just British firms and SMEs that there um, is potentially kind of problematic policies for this. It's also the general policy towards insourcing, which is something that they've been talking about for years now. Rachel Reeves and others have been pretty clear that they would want to bring more services back into government. Um, and I think that's quite likely to spark a much wider buy versus build debate about kind of whether government can build its own technologies or whether it relies on external companies. There's also policies around focusing more on social value, focusing more on value for money. Um, and with all of that kind of shifting dynamics, there's a question of where that leaves um, existing companies that contract into um, the public sector. Um, so, yeah, so I think probably in short, there isn't a clear answer to your question of how that is resolved. Um, and that's precisely why we at Global Council um, have recently done a report on this looking at what public sector digitization in the future might look like. Um, and specifically, we're going to be uh, hosting our, our launch event, uh, Baroness Chapman, who is the Shadow Cabinet Office Minister, who's dealing with quite a lot of these issues to think about how those different uh, principles might marry together. Yeah, I think there is a clear risk, I suppose, for that agenda that you end up in this conflict between real concerns about the role of private US companies in the provision of technology services, when at the same time you have this push for insourcing. And as an inherent tension, I think will play through a potential uh, labour term as they look to uh, upgrade public sector uh, services. We've covered quite a lot the the ground around artificial intelligence and public sector digitization. So let's move on to Another theme which we've been touching on a little bit, which is in around employment and very specifically around the so-called gig economy, Labour has quite significant policy positions which would affect those industries which rely on self-employed workers. So there's a policy around a single employment status, around clarifying how self-employed people are defined as self-employed, all with this idea of cutting down on bogus self-employment. But it's a technical and complicated area to get right. And it will, it will imply, and it implies, 
significant political capital invested in getting such reforms over the line. So I guess my question for you is, how serious do you think Labour is about enacting these changes? Um, In short, serious. Um, So I think the person who, at the moment at least, would be taking this forward, the Shadow Employment Minister, Justin Madders, um, he has a background in employment law himself. It's something that he feels very passionately about. This is something which the Labour Party's been talking about for years. They've been pushing the government on bringing forward um, an employment bill that they haven't yet. So, yeah, I think it's something that's definitely um, a priority for the front benchers. It's also um, a very high priority for the workers' um, unions and the likes of the TUC, um, whose support is going to be essential for the La- for the Labour Party getting into government in the first place. So Labour has promised to get this particular um issue sorted within the first 100 days of government, which is obviously incredibly ambitious for the reasons that you outline. Um, But I do think that they will face pressure to actually deliver on that. I think where we could uh, face potential issues is how this might have uh, unintended consequences for the self-employment lobby, for example. So we saw a huge fuss created around the IR35 changes that um, the current government uh, tried to make uh, delivering a massive change to having a single worker status rather than three existing employment categories is quite likely to have knock-on effects for not just the kind of delivery drivers that might be the immediate target of the Labour government here, but quite a lot of other types of workers who have quite a lot of political influence too. So for those who are listening who work at companies in the delivery sector, in ride-hailing, various others that are classically termed to be the gig economy, I guess the message here is that real change and real disruption in a regulatory and policy sense will be coming and will be coming quite quickly, uh, we anticipate, should Labour take power at some point during a general election um, next year. Another issue, Megan, where the Labour Party has been pretty vocal has been around the online safety bill. Now, regular listeners to this podcast hear us talking about the online safety bill all the time. And it sort of exposes this tension, I guess, between encouraging inward investment from technology companies. To your point, if Labour wants to become fastest growing economy in the G7, then that implies being an open economy that has large investments by big companies and big tech companies. But on the other hand, there is, of course, that instinct, not not exclusive to the Labour Party, same in the Conservative Party, to protect citizens and protect vulnerable citizens online. And specifically on the online safety bill, there is this commitment from Labour to revisit the so-called legal but harmful content, which touches on issues around free expression online. Given we've had such an exhausting process to get the online safety bill to where it is, it's taken years now, do you really expect Labour to come good on this commitment to reopen the bill after it's just been agreed? No, not really. Um, So I think if we're looking at the likely process ahead um, and we expect at the moment for Royal Assent of the Online Safety Bill to probably be around October, um, Ofcom, uh, the online safety regulator, will then be kicking off its work on codes of practice and other enforcement measures in the months afterwards. And then we're looking at a kind of general election around that time exactly. It would be pretty hard to justify digging everything up just as it started to get going. I think particularly when you think about this in the context of 
Labour's main gripe throughout all of the parliamentary debates, having been how long it's taken to actually get the online safety bill off the ground. They pointed to the fact that you've had kind of numerous children who've faced online harms while the Conservative government has kind of been sitting around. And that's something that they've said repeatedly. So I think it would be quite hard for them to justify uh, disrupting that actual enforcement process. I think it's far more likely that we will see this continue to be a priority issue for a Labour government, but rather than seeing uh, massive new primary legislation on this, instead uh, potentially exerting influence by secondary legislation or um, bearing in mind that the Ofcom codes of practice are going to need parliamentary approval, I think Labour uh, parliamentarians will probably push for them to be maybe tighter or tougher than a Conservative government would have done. Yes, you can see the scenario whereby a Labour minister walks into whatever department is, is in charge of this at the time. So DSIT at the moment and says they want to reopen the legal but harmful and host of civil servants recommend very much not to do that. But you're right that in the future, as this, as this bill becomes an act and as it's implemented, clearly these issues aren't going to go away and the legislation in and of itself is not going to stop nasty things happening online. So there's going to be pressure both on ministers and then on Ofcom, the regulator, to improve the way in which the online economy functions to protect citizens. So you will see that dynamic play out, as you, as you pointed out. And I guess I would just say on the bill specifically, to your point, I think it's been drafted in such a way that the current government has repeatedly pointed to the fact that it's future-proofed, it has kind of flexibility in it, it's just a framework for future governments and future regulators to kind of build on. So that gap is there for the Labour government to take, it's just a question of how they do it. Yeah, and you can just see the scenario, can't you? We'll have the, a nasty thing happen to a child online, there's a big media scandal, Labour minister gets worked up about it and there's a big tension between Labour and Ofcom and a new debate about whether the Online Safety Act, as it will be by then, is fit for purpose, or indeed the next football championship under a Labour government. There's racist abuse of players and we get the same dynamic over again. So we're going to see that pressure and that circular dynamic repeat itself over the next few years. So to conclude on a totally different topic, Megan, for those who were listening last week, uh, we had John Garvey, the Practice Director for International Policy, come on and talk us through where we are in the OECD tax negotiations. We didn't really focus on the UK then. We talked at a more global level, but it gave some context to, to the state of play and it was actually quite pessimistic. Into this comes reports that Labour is dialing down its own ambitions on digital taxation and they will not look to introduce anything new on digital taxation should they come into government. But when we look at the overall situation, which you had talked about earlier, Megan, that we have a very constrained fiscal environment, but also high expectations around what Labour can do to improve public services. Surely are they not going to look at digital taxes again? Well, I think when the Labour spokesperson said, it was in June, um, that they weren't going to go ahead with this proposed 10% digital services tax, they did say that they would, in quote, set out more details um, ahead of the next general election. So I don't think they've closed the door on that. Um, I think an important dynamic to consider here, though, is not only uh, what's happening with the existing international process that you mentioned and that we spoke about um, in the previous podcast, um, what happens with that 
Um, if that does fall apart or doesn't kind of deliver as it's expected to, maybe a Labour government will feel the need to kind of like step up and um, introduce its own measures. However, at the same time, it's trying to balance its relationship with the US at the moment. Um, so they said in the press release or in, uh, or I should say rather in the press around the announcement that it was concerned about retaliatory measures that kind of prompted uh, Labour to take this view. I'm not entirely sure if that's true, but it is definitely the case that Labour is trying to foster new relationships with uh, policymakers in the US at the moment. There's kind of regular trips by front benchers over to the US uh, to go meet uh, key policymakers and build those bridges early. So I think it would be quite a divergence from that approach to suddenly say, actually, yes, we're going to kind of slap a massive tax on a number of American companies. Um, and I think that would be taken very poorly and is at least something that they're unlikely to do in the early days of their government. Maybe it's something that they would return to later. I guess on the point of retaliation, if the OECD negotiations do fall apart and suddenly the EU moves forward with a digital services tax, India brings forward new taxes and other parts of the world like Canada and Sri Lanka, who John was talking about, then I guess the problem on the US side is the limits to retaliation when you're trying to retaliate against dozens, if not hundreds of other countries bringing forward these forms of taxation. So it would give the UK under a Labour government, speculated a bit here, but it would potentially give more political cover in which to do it. But you're right, clearly, all the signs from the Labour leadership until now has been that they are taking a pretty clear Atlantis disposition and you can barely move in Washington without a Labour shadow minister making a visit week in, week out. So look, Megan, thank you very much uh, for taking us through that. I think there were some clear areas where we don't think Labour will make a big play. So online safety bill 2.0 was one that I think we're, we're relatively confident that that won't happen, at least at the start of a, a new Labour government. Other areas where quite clearly we think there will be action, so public sector digitisation, there's going to be lots of movement there in policy terms around the deployment of technology and particularly in how AI is deployed in the healthcare service and in the welfare service within the UK. And other areas where it's a bit of wait and see, we could see policy moving. Digital taxation is one of those, but it will really hinge on what happens at an international level. So to all those on the line, thank you very much for joining us this week. If you would like to pick up this conversation with Megan or with colleagues in our tech media telecoms team and the broader UK politics team, you can find our details at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. And then next week in the second of this series, as I said earlier, we're going to be focusing on the US and where the Republican Party and Republican candidates currently are on technology policy. Thanks for joining and see you next week. Bye bye.